Amen. That's, uh, that was like good news, right? right? Like there's nothing stands between us and, and there's another in the fire. And, and, and maybe some of you are in a fire, been in the fire for a while. Just know that uh, uh, you're not alone in it. Uh, let me just pray right now. Uh, Heavenly Father, I, I just pray right now. God, I thank you for the truth that uh, because of Jesus, nothing stands between us anymore. And I thank you that no matter what we are going through, and, and maybe there's some folks in here, God, going through a lot, some difficulties, some struggles, Lord, maybe relational, financial, physical, God, whatever they may be. And, and God, and maybe they feel alone in that battle, in that struggle. Um, God, may they know that that's not true, and that you're there with them and you love them and you care for them and that you are their good shepherd. Holy Spirit, just fill this room with your presence today. Thank you that we never, ever are alone. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I, I, I want to start off today with three passages that will k- kind of lay the foundation for our conversation this morning, the fourth Sunday of the year 2020. Uh, the first is from John chapter 3. Uh, Jesus is talking to a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. And, and in this conversation, Jesus is explaining to him about the kingdom of God and telling Nicodemus, this influential Christian, I mean, religious leader and teacher, that not only is God's kingdom not a physical kingdom, but to both see and to enter that kingdom that you must be born again, that you must be born of water and of spirit. And then Jesus tells them that in order for this kingdom to be fully established, that he, the son of man, must be lifted up on a cross so that eternal life can be given to everyone who believes. And you know, I think it's almost as if Jesus is anticipating the thoughts that must be running through the mind of Nicodemus at this very moment. Are you kidding me? That's insane. Why in the world would God allow his son to be crucified on the cross? Why would God do such an inconceivable thing for such finite, fallen and sinful people. Why? And Jesus answers it in the next verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed the name of God's one and only son. Now, before we move on to that next passage, I, I, I want us to let those 22 words that follow directly after the comma, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. I, I want to let those words sink in until they make us, make you, make me very and extremely uncomfortable. Uh, that word for perish is the Greek word apollomi. means to destroy. It means to put out of the way entirely, to put an end to. It means to give up to eternal misery. Question, do you know anyone? A family member, a friend, a co-worker, a classmate, a neighbor? Who already stands condemned this morning. Whose current future is to perish, is to be giving up to eternal 
misery. Question, are you uncomfortable yet? I hope so. Hope I am. The next passage is from Jesus' powerful sermon on the mountain by the Sea of Galilee. It's the longest recorded sermon we have of Jesus. You've heard these words countless times if you've been in church. Uh, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its, its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, you probably know, have heard, that the primary purpose of salt in the first century was not to season your French fries, right? But it was to preserve meat. And what Jesus is telling those who are following him, that, that the world is in a state of decay and death and destruction, and that he's calling them to be the ones who would reverse that, reverse and turn around that death and decay and destruction. And then he continues and says to these same followers, Uh, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Anyone ever done that? Your room is dark, you light a lamp, and then you cover the lamp. That that would be kind of silly. So they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine. And you see, if we're a Jesus follower, the question is not, do we have a light? It's whether or not we're going to let that light shine. Let it shine for others that they may see your good deeds and tell you how awesome and amazing you are and become your Facebook and Instagram Snapchat friend, right? No. To glorify your Father in heaven. And the final passage I want to share is from the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And and. And in chapter 5, Paul is trying to explain to these believers why he's doing the stuff that he's doing. You know, like, why he's making the kind of sacrifices that he's making for Jesus and for the gospel. Sacrifices that were so extreme that some people, when they heard about what Paul was doing or saw what Paul was doing and what Paul's companions were doing, they thought that they were out of their minds. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 13, if we are out of our minds, as some say, it's for God. And that word, out of your mind, it's just one word, exists to me. It means to be out of one's mind, beside oneself, insane. Turn to the person next to you and say, exists to me. You're out of your mind, you're insane, you're crazy. You didn't have to do that. Some of you just had to do it anyhow, right? You've been waiting. here's a question has anyone ever looked at the things that you do and the sacrifices that you have made for Jesus and his church and they're like are you kidding me exist to me you're crazy you're out of your mind why would you give up so much stuff why would you sacrifice so much of your time and your effort and your treasure for the church And if no one's ever said that to you, would you like them to? And are you willing to do what it takes to make that happen? You see, oftentimes, we want the results of something without the sacrifice and the journey it takes to get there, right? And so are you willing to do what it takes? Someone say, you got to be out of your mind. That guy's crazy. He's insane. I can't believe what he's doing for Jesus. And so people were looking at Paul, just could not understand why he would do such difficult stuff and, and just keep pressing on. And, 
And the very next verse, he's going to answer uh, that after exist to me verse, he's going to answer, hey, here's the reason why I do this. And it's pretty much the same reason why God allowed his son to be lifted up on the cross. The reason is love. He says, yeah, we're out of our minds. Why are we out of our minds? For Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. He died for them and was raised again. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We don't look at how they dress, what they wear, what color their skin is, what they vote for, whether or not they are a Patriot fan or not, right? And we don't do that. And we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now we're in week two of our first series of the new year called 2020 Vision. And remember, the series, it's about you and I having visual acuity, that about you and I having clear vision in regards to six of the most important areas of our life. Jesus, the church, our relationships, ourselves, our work, and our assets. And last Sunday, we talked about seeing Jesus for who he is. And we said that when we see Jesus for who he is, we'll see that he's a hard guy, hard God to pin down, right? He is, he is unpinnable. He's unboxable. We see that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, wonder how God feels about hurting and lost people, you know, uh, wonder how God feels about you, how God treats sinful people, you, all you have to do is look at Jesus. We see that Jesus is the creator of all things. Scripture says that God breathes out stars and they're created. I want you to do something. I want you to breathe out right now and try to create something. Blade of grass, anything. Go ahead. Anybody? Like, no. God breathed out. And, and, he, and he created a star called Canis Majoris, right? That 20, million, 20 trillion Earths fit inside of it. How great is our God. Amen? Amen. We see that Jesus is our Savior. There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. No one, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. We see that Jesus, we see him clearly that he's the Lord, right? He's the Lord of all things in our life, not some things, right? You know, he, he's the Lord of everything in our life. And, and Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He's everywhere. He's everything. Everywhere you've ever been, he's been there. And anywhere you're ever going to go, he's already there. And I really want to encourage you to reflect on these six facets of who Jesus is and on the implications, on the carryover, right, that they should have for and in our lives. This morning, we're going to unpack a conversation called Sing the Church as the Hope of the World. And I was out, I was <laughs> Chewbacca. That was my Chewbaccaian language. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, seeing the church as the hope of the world. As I was working on this, I thought, man, I, I, I've done a lot of series on the church over the last several years. 
In 2012, we did a 10-week series called The Dangerous Church. And beginning of 2014, we did an eight-week series called Identity Who We Are. The end of 2014, we did a series called Life on Mission, right? And that's where we introduced that, uh, that picture you see hanging on the walls, um, Life on Mission. You know, belong, grow, serve, and engage. 2016, we did a nine-week series called Church We Are. Last year, we did an 18-week series called Becoming the Church He Intended to Be, right? And, and I got my calculator, and I go like, wow, in the seven years, we've, done, we've had 52 weeks of, of series talking about the church, a full year. And, and now, why will we spend so much time on this topic? Because it's absolutely essential that when it comes to the church, when it comes to the kingdom, that we have visual acuity, that we have 2020 vision, that we see the church clearly for who she is and what she's been called to do. Because the truth is that many people, and I'm not talking about people who don't attend church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who do attend church and who do claim Jesus and who are lacking in visual acuity, who do not see the church what it is. In other words, those seeing, they do not see. And here's the deal. We know that we have poor, incomplete, or inaccurate visual acuity when we see the church as simply a building or event that we go to for an hour and 15 minutes each week. Uh, We know that where visual acuity of the church is lacking when we see the church as a hotel and spa for sinners, I mean for saints, rather than a hospital and rehab center for sinners. We know that we have a poor, incomplete, inaccurate visual acuity of the church when we see church as a place that we intend in order to check off a box as we strive to earn God's love and forgiveness. Uh, We know that our visual acuity when it comes to church is off when we see church as a place where we walk in with a consumer mindset, right? Seeking to be served and to have our needs met rather than seeking to serve and to meet the needs of others. Uh, we know that we're not seeing the church clearly if we see it as nothing more than a social club, an entertainment venue, or an activity center. We know that we have a poor, incomplete, inaccurate visual acuity when it comes to the church when it's simply a place for our kids to learn good values and for us to meet nice people. Uh, we know that our visual acuity is lacking when we see church as a place to have an experience and hear teaching that always makes us comfortable and encourages us, but never challenges or convicts us. Uh, We know that we're not seeing the church clearly if we see it as optional. In other words, everything, whether we attend or don't attend, serve or not serve, give or not give, is always dependent on us and what works for us and what's convenient for us. We know that we don't see the church clearly if we see the church as a belonging to us, right? That, hey, We're the ones that built this thing. It's my church. Do things my way. See, unfortunately, when it comes to seeing the church clearly, many are lacking visual acuity. They they don't have 20-20 vision. Get it? Good. Now, now some of the things I said aren't bad. It's, It's good to meet people at church, right? It's good to be encouraged by teaching at church. I'm not saying that, right? But the church is so, so much more. And there's so many things we could talk about to improve our vision, right? You know, they put a new lens so we could see the church clearly. We could talk about some of the things we talked about last year. 
like how the church is the bride of Christ, it's the body of Christ, it's the family of God, it's the flock of God, it's the temple of God, it's the gathering of the called out ones, it's the promised messianic kingdom. But, but this morning, I, I want to focus on what I think is perhaps the most important facet of the church. And that is for us to see the church as a hope of the world. I was very intentional with the word the. <laughs> you know, the church is not a hope of the world. It's not a, one of many hopes of the world. The church is the hope of the world. You believe that? Now, here's how I want to attack this conversation by unpacking four statements. The world needs this hope. We've been called to carry this hope. When this hope is carried, the world changes. Our hope-carrying plan and how we are doing. Before we dive into that first statement, I just want to read this passage out of Hebrews. It's about hope and about God. Uh, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He wanted us to be able to trust what he said. He confirmed it with an oath. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtains of God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It's a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And I'm telling you, Maple Grove, the world needs this kind of hope. They need something trustworthy. They need something strong to anchor their souls. And and, and basically there's two facets of of the hope that our world desperately needs that I, I want to talk about. First, the world needs, they need the hope of salvation. Why? Because they're lost. Because they stand condemned already. And already set up to perish. Apollo me. Giving up to eternal misery. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because they not believe the name of God's one and only son. Verse 36. Whoever believes in the son is eternal life. But whoever rejects the son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. Uh, they're not, those are not fun words, are they? But they're true. <laughs> and we must not run from them. We must not ignore them. Uh, understand, there are thousands of people in our community. There are millions of people in our country. And there are billions of people around the world who stand condemned already. Who need the hope of salvation. Do you know any? People who need to hear the gospel. Uh, People who need to hear the good news that that it's God's desire to no longer count their sins against them. People who need to hear the gospel so that they can surrender to it and have God's wrath removed and be saved and have eternal life. You see, the the hope of salvation, it's both powerful and and it's also, it's protective. In fact, Paul put it this way in Ephesians, excuse me, First Thessalonians chapter 5. 
He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. You see, the hope of salvation would be like a a helmet that a a soldier would wear in battle. It, It protects our head. It protects our mind. It protects our thoughts from the unrelenting attacks and lies of the evil one. It protects our heads so that we can hear his voice. And we can know that we are saved. We can know that we are right with God. We can know that we are forgiven. We can know that our past has been cleaned up and that our future is guaranteed. Not because of our effort, but because of his sacrifice. It protects our head and mind so we know that, hey, No matter what the enemy says, we are saved, we are redeemed, we are delivered, and we are going home. Wow. That is a hope of salvation. We're to wear as a helmet. And the world needs this hope of salvation. They also need the hope of a new life. Because truth be told, the old one, the one without Jesus is, is, is not so good. It's... Not so fulfilling. It's not so stable. It's not all it was cracked up to be. And when I wrote that in my notes, I go, where did that phrase come from? You know? Actually, one of the meanings of the word crack, it's not a drug, right? Uh, 15th century meant to boast or to praise. So it's not all the praise. People were praising this and saying it's great, but it's not all it was cracked up to be. So the word crack means boast or praise. I'm not going to say any more about it. I was say something I thought was funny, but it wouldn't have been funny at all. All right. Thank you, Lord, for closing my mouth. All right. But the good news is that there really is the promise, this hope of new life. If anyone, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from our own effort. No, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. God wants you to have life. God wants your life to be fulfilled, abundant. In Acts chapter 5, the disciples were in jail, and an angel broke them out at night. And the angel, we read this, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life understand the world, people without Jesus need the hope of a new and better life. Amen? They need the hope of an abundant and satisfying life that is found in Christ alone. You see, the things that that people have placed their hope in, you know, things like money and applause and stuff and worldly success and earthly pleasure and relationships... And interesting, I was working on this part while May Lee was doing some, uh, a, a class or training for her job at ACAC downtown and beautiful facility, everybody's there. Some people there put their hope in their physical strength and health, right? Everybody's going to get old, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's good to exercise, but guess what? Someday you're not going to move so good, right? I mean, someday you're going to be old and someday you're going to be dust in the ground, right? So it's nothing wrong with that, but don't put your hope in that, Right? Don't do that. 
See, the world needs the hope that this new life gives, where Jesus provides living water where we never thirst again. This new life where there's nothing, we know that there's nothing that we will ever suffer that will compare that with the glory that is waiting for us. This new life where we know that in all things we're more than conquerors. I'm not making this stuff up. This is the new life. This new life where we do not have to worry or be anxious about anything, but instead we can pray to God and have a peace that transcends all understanding. This new life where we will be fully content, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or want. This new life where we're born again into a living hope and into an inexpressible and glorious joy. The hope of salvation, the hope of living a new life. Our world needs it. It needs this hope, and we're called to carry out this hope. It's our commissions. It's, it's the one job that Jesus, Jesus gave us to do. After his death, burial, and resurrection, before he returned to the Father, he, he made some statements. You've heard these before, but hear them today as if you're in the military, or you're, yeah, military is the best, right? You're in the military, and you just, in your office of your commanding officer, right? You know, and, and uh, he's going to tell you some things to do. And if you're enlisted and you're in there, what are you going to do? <laughs> he tells you to jump, you're going to say, how high, sir? Right? It's Jesus talking to you and to me. Eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountains where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. We're going to doubt, right? I always say, uh, don't, when in doubt, check it out, right? <laughs> when in doubt, just investigate. You, you, you'll be all right. You'll have doubts. Go to the word. And then Jesus came near and said to them, that'll help with your doubts, won't it? Jesus coming near. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How much authority? All authority. That means that what he's about to say is the final word. Uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always at the very end of the age. Mark records that this way, and he told them, go into the world and preach the good news to everyone. Everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Acts 1 verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then 2 Corinthians 5, as we read earlier, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, we have been commissioned, we've been commanded by the one who has all authority to go, to preach the good news to everyone, uh, to make disciples of all nations. How? By, first, by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded them. You see, he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. And understand, we've not, we've not been called simply to study, celebrate, and enjoy this hope for ourselves, Right? But we've been called to what? To carry it, to share it, to take it into the world that so desperately needs it. I 
I, I like what Bo Chansey writes in his book, Pray for One. He says, can you imagine standing before Jesus at the judgment and giving an account for being a church that did not carry the good news of the hope of salvation into the world? Hey, Jesus, <laughs> we are, we're excited to see you here. Uh, we, pe- we took the people you entrusted us with, and we got them really deep into your word. Now, we didn't actually reach any new people, but the ones we started with are a lot better at worship, Bible study, long-flowing prayers, and their sin management skills are impeccable. So Jesus, how do we do? You failed. You failed. You didn't do your job. You didn't do the one thing I asked you to do. Right? And that could happen, right? We can get so busy in church doing everything else. Hey, I think Bible studies are awesome. We should have them. I think prayer is awesome. Worship is awesome. I think cleaning the church, all these things are important. Nothing is wrong with those things. But if in doing those things, we forget that our one job is to save people whose eternities are in jeopardy, then we fail completely, right? See, we're plan A. The world is lost, stands condemned, Apollo me, right? Given over to eternal misery, and, and we are plan A to rescue those people, the people in your family, the people in your neighborhood, the people you work with, the people you know, the people you and I rub shoulders with. We, we are their plan A. There is no plan B. And what a privilege it is, right? I mean, isn't it kind of awesome to think that someone could be in heaven because of you? I think that's pretty exciting stuff, don't you? And listen, when this hope is carried, the the world is changed. A guy named Rodney Stark wrote a book called The Rise of Early Christianity. And when he wrote it, he wasn't a Christian. He was a professor of sociology and comparative religions at the University of Washington. Uh, but, But he traced Christianity in the first three centuries of its existence because Christianity changed the world. I mean, it started as this obscure, small Jesus movement, and it changed the world. Now, now, now Rome wasn't overthrown, but eventually Rome became a Christian nation. Well, how did it happen? Because the church in those days, they had no political position. They could not hold office. They could not vote. They had no bill of rights. They didn't have that kind of religious freedom. In fact, you had people like Nero who would light them on fire and use them as street lamps at night. And yet the church exploded. So he said, he was there, how did it happen? It was not a democratic system. They didn't have a vote to cast. They didn't have that. So how did they, how did they do it? And he just traces it. He says abortion and infanticide was common in the Roman world. In fact, it was an accepted practice. It was most often exercised when the child was female or the child had disabilities. Perfectly common in those days. And in fact, it was condoned by people like Plato and Aristotle to to leave a child out in the wilderness, out in the woods, just leave them there. And virtually all disabled and deformed babies were just simply abandoned. And if you're a girl, your chances of survival were minimal. Early Christians did not allow for infanticide or abortion. Now look, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't really control what happened outside their community. You know, they had no political position to force that upon other people. But they could affect how things were done within their community. And in their community, they just said, we're just not going to do things that way. We're going to do things differently. And they did. 
In ancient Rome, uh, Christians saved many abandoned babies and brought them to faith in the Lord, and they be, Christians' homes became the first orphanages. So the church valued women, and it protected children, and husbands in that culture were called to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and to protect and sacrifice for their families. When the church began, Rome was not providing social services or help to people in need. But there was no need for government to help because the church took care of each other. And they didn't just take care of each other, they took care of other people who were not part of their community, which is, in those days, was unheard of. In those days, widows were forced to remarry because there was no other way for them to provide for themselves. But the church said, you know, we're not going to do it that way. And they said to the widows, you don't have to remarry, we'll help take care of you. Another example, in that culture, the Roman culture, young ladies were often forced to marry, um, sometimes even before puberty. And a church came in and said, yeah, you know what, we're, we're not going to do it that way either. And listen, the list just goes on and on and on and on, and, and eventually society is so struck by the difference between what is happening within the walls of the community and what's happening in the world they were blown away by the way that, ch- that the church loved one another, by the way they lived out their life of following Jesus in the world, that they want to be a part of it. And it changed everything. It changed the world. But it wasn't because they could vote. It wasn't because they could pass legislation that forbid those certain practices. Now, if they could have been more involved in the political process, they should have been, but that was not an option for them. However, Change came in the world they lived in, even political change, by, by the church simply being the church. By them living out their faith, bringing people to Christ, and changing the hearts of people. So here's my question, what would happen if the church was just a church? I think it's hard for us to be objective, but I think we have to ask yourself, if the church was just a church and we did a better job of caring for the sick... You know, would there be so much trouble with our healthcare debate right now? I don't know if there would be. If the church was just a church and marriage was honored and there was complete commitment and the church demonstrated what intimate love looked like, you have to wonder if it would be hard for us to, as a society to redefine marriage. If the church was a church and we cared for the orphans and the foster children and the single moms more effectively, you have to wonder, what would happen to the abortion rate? What would happen to these, poor, these children that are caught up in generational poverty and generational dysfunction? You have to wonder if maybe we, we could, the church could turn the tide of those things. Franklin Roosevelt said, I seriously doubt that there's a problem, political or economic, that, would not, that will not melt before the fire of a spiritual awakening. I seriously doubt there... That there is a problem, political or economic, that will not melt before the fire of a spiritual awakening. Franklin Roosevelt. You see, God did not call us to condemn or conform to the world. He has called us to reconcile and redeem the world. Amen? So what's our hope-carrying plan and how are we doing? I'm going to show a quick video, and then we're going to wrap this puppy up. Here's a quick video from some stuff we did last year. Last year was a good year. Uh, And I'm convinced that we're in a good place as a church, and that we're on the right track. 
that were pointing in the right direction, although they're still far to travel, far to go. But, but listen, here's the deal. You know, in 2020, we are going to take our mission of, of taking the hope of the gospel into the world to higher levels than we ever had before. You know, we cannot allow us ourselves to be satisfied with where we are. Right? We just can't. The stakes are too high. You know, countless people's eternities is at stake. Uh, if I can read another quote from Bo Chancey real quick. The enemy's number one tactic is to get the church to focus on anything other than the mission of Jesus, right? To get us to focus on all kinds of different things. And, 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 and one of the reasons you need to talk about this a lot, right? Because, you know, you know, we're always in motion, right? We're in motion to healthy and mission focus and, hey, comfortable and us focus, right? Or somewhere in between, and, and and we're never static, we're never stable, we're heading in one direction or the other, and, and and human nature we tend to drift back to what's comfortable for us, right? But we want to always move it towards pursuing Jesus and pursuing the priorities of Jesus, right? And how are we doing? Hey, I think we're doing we're doing okay, you know, uh, but we're not doing good enough, you know. We could do a whole lot more. Uh, and, and, and what's our plan? You know, our plans been around um, really since the fall of 2014. Now, a lot of things in life, you know, or in football, you know, you know, it, it, it's it's not necessarily about the play; it's about execution, right? And you watch guys interview the game. Well, you know, we didn't execute, right? They had a good play; they just didn't execute it well, you know. And, and Jesus pretty much had given us a great play, right? You know, and, and I think we we kind of pulled that down to us as a church—a great plan, but. We gotta execute, right? Because all the great plans in the world, if you don't execute them, you know, are not gonna accomplish what you're trying to. And and, and really, yeah, you see, we have a plan like hanging on batteries. I think I have a picture here, maybe. Yeah, you may have seen this one in the hallway. We just kind of walk by it. It's like a stain on the floor after a while, right? We don't notice things, right? Um, but that's you see our life on mission, right? This year we were more focused on that. You belong, you know. You know, people that are attending here, would you surrender to Jesus if He hadn't? You know, would you say yes to his command to be baptized and to believe and to be saved? You know, you know your command to join the church, to grow, uh, to serve in the church, to to engage our community. You know, we pursue Jesus, you'll see there, by becoming disciples who make disciples, right? How do you become a disciple? Well, you believe and you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you're you, you learn about Jesus, you grow, you join a life group. We have all kinds of, there's ladies groups, right, for Bible study. Men's are doing a new Bible study, right? You know, um, life groups we have, uh, more kicking off in March. You know, uh, there's a ladies AM group, ladies PM group, guys PM group, right? There's there's all kinds of, there's Bible studies on, on Sunday morning. And, and, and all these are geared towards, right, right helping us grow, helping us become a disciple who makes a disciple. You know, if you're involved in our Bible reading program, Faith Come From Hearing, you know, you, have, you still can join in. We're on, on day 14. It's pretty cool. You know, the invites that we've done, I know we're doing it, but 55 people are doing the invite um, on the Bible app that I have, and I'm able to read the stuff that they're getting out of it, and I'm so encouraged by what they're reading and what they're learning as we talk it over together, right? And all these are geared towards helping us to pursue Jesus. Uh, this Friday, we're doing something really really different. Uh, I just kind of thought of it, and, and uh, 
you know, from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., this room will be open for prayer. You know, the last Friday before, you know, the new month, we're going to have this building open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. where people can come in and pray. You know, you can pray for five minutes, you can pray for five hours, right? You know, and you just come in here and you spend some time in prayer uh, with you and God, you can with people or not people, right? And the room we set up, have some prayer guides, but it's just going to be open. Lights down, you know, soft music playing where you can get alone, maybe breathe, and just pray, you know, for the upcoming month that God moves with those great things. I encourage you to, to be a part of that. Um, and, and, and really, you know, like, like growing and all that stuff is, you know, that's helping your light to shine, you know, and, and really, what's really good after that is when we, you know, when we take it out, right? You know, because it does no good under here, right? But it's good. We want to have a light shining and growing helps it shine. But, but, but then what we're going to do as a church is engaging our community, right? Through acts of compassion. And you saw those on there. I think we're doing a great job. We want to even do even more. Um, if you're interested in being part of the compassion team, uh, you know, we are, you know, reforming that, re-energizing that so that we as a church, we're not interested in being the best church in the community. We want to be the best church for the community, right? We want to say, hey, we, we, we're, not, we're not concerned about, hey, do we have the best worship here? The best, we want to be the best church for our community to meet their needs. And then the last thing is, is really the, the really important thing is, and where we're not doing, we're doing, I think we're doing, you know, I, I give us a decent grade on compassion, acts of compassion. I, I would not give myself and us a fantastic grade on rescuing people who are lost. You know, um, we brought less than 10 people in Christ, less than 10 people were baptized in Christ last year. Um, I think we all know a lot more lost people. Um, and, and I got to do better. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know. I, I know someone who, you know, not around here, but someone who lost someone recently, uh, loved one, and, and wasn't a believer who was suffering a lot towards the end of their life. And, and they were saying, well, at least they're not suffering now. And I mean, it wasn't time for me to save the truth, but it, it devastated me. Because if what we believe is true, they are. And it will stop. Right? And, and so I just want to encourage you guys. Um, this idea of pray for one. And we, we talked about that in 2016, right? Where every day we say, God, will you show me one person I can show you and show your gospel with? You know, we probably have adults and teens that come here because, you know, we know that everybody here is every, here every week, right? You know, uh, so maybe 200 people. You know, what if all of us tried in 2020 to say, God, you know those lost people I, I, I wave to in my neighborhood that I sit, see at work? Yeah. What if we all tried to say, you know what, this year I want someone to be in heaven because of my efforts. You know, obviously it's Jesus who did it. What if, what if 200 people tried and we, had a, and we just had a 25% success rate? That's 50 people. And so, I'm going to pray that your burden for the lost will wake you up at night. And would you pray for me as your pastor? You know, uh, that my burden, right? Because guess who? You haven't seen me in there, have you? With my neighbors? 
Yeah, I, I, so this isn't me calling you out. Uh, I think this is Jesus calling us out. I haven't been up there. You ever see me? Hey, there's your pastor. I would just, and don't be like me right now, right? You know? And, and so I think we can do this, guys. What do you think? You think it'd be a good thing? If you feel discouraged, stop it. <laughs> this is a discouragement, right? What an opportunity we have, right? You know, don't worry about the opportunities of yesterday, right? Okay, you can't get them again. Just think about the opportunities you're going to have this week and the day the rest of this year, right? I mean, don't we, we don't live in regret as a church, right? Or as a people, right? We live in the future, and God's going to lay out opportunities before you. So quit, quit beating yourself up about all the mistakes you made and all the conversations you didn't have, right? And just pray to God that'll help you in the coming days to have the ones you want to have, right? All right, that, that's what it's all about. We serve a God of grace and mercy, and, and he wants us to take that grace and mercy out there. And, and uh, I, I love you guys, you know, and, and, and I think... I think together, right, with the Holy Spirit's help, right, yeah, we can move further along that track of being the church that he wants us to be, right? And then we're going to show this world the love of Jesus. We're going to let our light shine. We're going to do good deeds of mercy, and we're going to reach out to lost people and bring them in and so that they can know our King. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and after I pray, we're going to sing a song, but you know, every week we take communion and... and uh, What Jesus said was like a real, really big deal, right? Like, like we know it. We know it. I mean, there's a heart moved by the fact that he loved you that much, that he couldn't imagine he turned without you that much, that, I mean, every punch hurt. Every whip across his back hurts. Every breath he took hurt. Every pound of that spike hurt, right? Every drop of blood that bled out made him weaker. But just because he loved you, he cared about you. And he told us, hey, do this, remember me. And, and then, you know, and, and, and someday, he says, we'll have this meal again, you know, with him in heaven. And so celebrate the fact that God loves you that much, that his body broke and his blood shed. You know, our communion is off to the sides, and, it's, it's, it's offered to anybody, and anybody who feels like they, they want to commune with the Lord. It's also where we take our offering. You know, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do that. Um, God, we love you. Um, thank you for the church. God, I, I thank you for the people that uh, decided to start a church in Orlando called First Christian Church uh, that would introduce me to Jesus in 1979. Thank you for the people you brought in my life that took the risk to share and challenge me and my beliefs and let me know that I was lost and I needed a Savior, God. And Father, help us to be the church you want us to be. God, help us to leave her excited knowing that outside those doors are nothing but opportunities to show and to share your love. And God, we know, as you said, that you're with us as we do this in the very end of the age. In Jesus' name, amen.